will be for all of eternity. And so, God, I just thank you for your love, and I thank you that it's unconditional. Jesus, that we haven't earned a thing, but you just pour it out on top of us. And so, God, today, as we examine your word, I pray that we would listen with open hearts and open ears. Jesus, that we would uh, be changed by your word, like someone who stands in front of a mirror, Lord, that we would, we would look and see what's, what's maybe a little bit out of alignment and tweak that thing. But Jesus, I thank you that all these things that we talk about are built on your grace as a foundation, Jesus. I, I, I'm just so grateful for the sacrifice that you made for me. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to listen with open hearts and open ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. to be together this morning. You know, I talked to a lot of people that said they were going to be gone this weekend, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to be very many people at church on Sunday morning. And look at all of you. It's awesome to be here together. And I hope your celebrations yesterday, as Adam said, were safe and, and good, and you had lots of family. And, and uh, you know, this was, a, this was a challenging week for me. Uh, not near as challenging as others, uh, but, but it was probably one of the most difficult and challenging weeks that I've ever had as a pastor, to be honest with you, um, just with, with a certain situation. And, uh, you know, last week we talked, about, we talked about prayer and how our first response in any situation, whether good or bad, should, should be to pray. And, uh, boy, did, did, did I ever live that personally this last week. Um, you know, and I, I continue to, to ask you to pray for the family and those who, who are around and know the, the, the family who, uh, with the suicide and, and the shooting of the infant. Um, you know, I, I truly believe, and the Lord has, has sort of shown me through the, the process of this whole thing, that, that He gives us divine appointments. There, there, are, there are times in our life when, when He says, you know what, you are the person that I want for this um, and he, he sort of taps us on the shoulder and says, okay, you're, you're up. And, and that early morning when I got the phone call, I didn't know it at the time, but, but I honestly believe that that was the Lord tapping me on the shoulder and saying, David, this is, this is your time right now. This is for you to do. I have appointed you this. And, and I would rather be appointed other things, trust me. Um, but but as, as I've gone through the process with the family and, and, and Lord willing, ministered to them with, with words um, the day before the, the memorial here, uh, I was just praying, Lord, I need some help here. I, I, what do I say? I, I've got nothing. I mean, I, I have things, and I had things written down. And, and, you know, I messaged my brother and said, hey, Dennis, just pray for me. This happened. And he's like, oh, my goodness gracious, you know. And, and then later in the day, he says, hey, I, I sent you three sermons that I've used for different things, and he explained those to me, and I read through those, and it was just like the Lord said, that's it. 
Those are the words that I want you to use. Those are the things that I want you to say. And, 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 and for some in this room that were there, um, they were the right words. They weren't mine. Believe me, they weren't mine. But they were the Lord's. And, um, and, and my prayer is that, that our church and those who know those in the family will have opportunities going forward to, to minister and be there and walk this road with them in this incredibly difficult time. And, uh, and so when people ask me here the last few days, how are you? I say I'm exhausted you know, I'm emotionally exhausted, I'm physically exhausted, but I still feel energy. I, I, still, I still feel well, and, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's for each one of us. We all have the Holy Spirit as Christ followers in us. And, and the first thing for us to do always is to cry out to Him and call on Him. And, and, and I believe that every one of us in this room has appointed times and in, uh, appointed places where, where you are the person God puts in that place for that time, for those words, or whatever it is, for that hug, for, for, for holding that person, or, or whatever. And, 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 and I, I want you to be encouraged by that. Uh, that, that we as Christ followers are tools in the hands of God to minister to a, an incredibly lost and hurting world. Now, um, that was sort of for free this morning. That was above and beyond the price of admission. Um, but I just wanted to share that with you, how the Lord sustains us, who the Lord helps us take that next step, even though we're not sure we could possibly even take it. He gives us strength for that. Now, on July 2nd, 1776, Congress voted to approve a complete separation from Great Britain. This comes from a newsletter that I received this week from the National Day of Prayer Committee. Two days afterwards, July 4th, the early draft of the Declaration of Independence was signed, albeit by only two individuals at that time, John Hancock, President of Congress, and Charles Thompson, Secretary of Congress. Four days later, on July 8th, members of Congress took that document and read it aloud from the steps of Independence Hall, proclaiming it to the city of Philadelphia, after which the Liberty Bell was rung. The inscription around the top of that bell, Leviticus 25.10, was most appropriate for the occasion, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. To see the turmoil in other nations, their struggles and multiple revolutions, and yet to see the stability and the blessings that we have here in America, we may ask, how has this been achieved? How is this even possible? What was the basis of American independence anyway? Well, John Adams said, and I quote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity, unquote. Perhaps the clearest ident identification of the spirit of the American Revolution was given by John Adams in a letter to Abigail the day after Congress approved the Declaration. He wrote her two letters on that day. The first was short and concise, jubilant, that the Declaration had been approved. The second was much longer and more pensive, giving serious consideration to what had been done that day. Adams cautiously noted, and I quote again, This day will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Unquote. 
It is amazing that on the very day they approved the declaration, Adams was already foreseeing their actions would be celebrated by future generations. Adams contemplated whether it would be proper to hold such celebrations, but then concluded that the day should be commemorated. But in a particular manner and with a, speci with a specific spirit, as he told Abigail, and once again I quote, it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty, unquote. John Adams believed that the 4th of July should become a religious holiday. A day when we remembered God's hand in deliverance and a day of religious activities when we committed ourselves to Him in solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Such was the spirit of the American Revolution as seen through the eyes of those who led it, evidenced even further in the words of John Quincy Adams, who, uh, one who was deeply involved in the activities of the Revolution. According to John Quincy Adams, Christmas and the 4th of July were intrinsically connected. On the 4th of July, the founders simply took the precepts of Christ who came to the world through his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas, and incorporated those principles into civil government. Now, have you ever considered what it meant for those 56 men, an eclectic group of ministers, businessmen, teachers, university professors, sailors, captains, farmers, to sign the Declaration of Independence? This was a contract that began with the reasons for the separation from Great Britain and closed in the final paragraph stating, quote, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. These men took this pledge seriously, and it cost them greatly. When Samuel Adams signed the declaration, he said, We have this day restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. The spiritual emphasis manifested so often by the Americans during the Revolution caused one crown-appointed British governor to write to Great Britain complaining that if you ask an American who is his master, he'll tell you he has none and he has no governor but Jesus Christ. This was boldly declared with not one but 16 congressional proclamations for national days of prayer and fasting throughout the Revolution. Preserving American liberty depends first upon our understanding the foundations on which this great country was built and then preserving the principles on which it was founded. Let's not let the purpose for which we were established be forgotten. The founding fathers have passed us a torch. Let's not let it go out. Many lives are given each year to aid in the security of this freedom. Let's not take that for granted. And isn't it true that we live in, a, in an incredibly blessed and amazing country? I mean, we complain all the time about our government and about this and about that, but, but when you really think about it, when you really sit down and you think about your life and where you are and, and what you eat on a daily basis and the, and the roof that you have over your head, our nation is incredibly blessed. I mean, I don't mean this to discount it, but the poorest of the poor in our nation are rich compared to other people in other countries. And, and sometimes we forget that. 
Our, 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 our country is beautiful. There is, there is, there is every climate. There is, there is, and, and that was just last week in the state of Wyoming. There, there are mountains, there are deserts. I guess we don't have rainforests. Um, but, but, but our nation has everything. Natural resources. Um, uh, you know, uh, gifts of gold and, and diamond and jewels in this nation. I, I, I wonder if the early settlers, those who first came over here, had any clue what, what was before them to the West. And, and, and I say that for, for two reasons. One, so that, so that we are truly thankful to our God and Creator for putting us and, and allowing us to live in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The second reason is, is to begin setting us up for the words of Jesus today. Because when you live normally, everyday life in a country that's, that's had amazing blessing poured out on it and is abundant, it, it sort of just becomes normal. Right? You sort of get used to it. You sort of start taking it for granted. And then you add secular, uh, secular humanity into that, and, and then we begin to be encouraged and pushed in, in the direction of materialism. Uh, that is a big problem in our culture. Um, the desire to have more stuff or more power or, or more things and, and doing everything we can to focus on that and reach whatever that goal is that, that we've set before us. Um, they did a study and they, they, uh, they polled people and asked them, number one, what's their salary? And number two, what is their definition of the American dream? And they found that, that if a person's salary was $50,000 a dream, what they would need to reach the American dream was $100,000. And if they made $150,000 a year, that, that what they needed in order to reach the American dream was $300,000. It was always more than what they already had. Now, as we were over at the fort yesterday, and uh, the captain or whatever he was, the, the cavalry guy there, was, was reading from the end of the Declaration of Independence. And, and, and at the end it says, you know, that, that, that all people are created equal and that we all um, have, should have, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, um, should have opportunity um, Thank you. Um, unalienable rights, which the guy yesterday sort of struggled with that word a little bit, and, uh, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Sometimes we think that, that that says the guarantee of happiness. But what it really says is the pursuit of it, that, that we, should be able, we should be free to pursue it. And unfortunately, a lot of people pursue happiness. They see that pursuit as possessions and things. And, and we really know that, that true happiness comes from our Savior Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit and living our life seeking His kingdom and that, that He gives good gifts and He has gifted us in uh, amazing ways. But we can fall into, uh, in this country of promise and a better life and more security, and safety. Um, there's a danger that lurks in the shadows of that abundance. Um, and in our section of the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Jesus tackles these troubles. So turn with me, if you would, to, to Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus is going to challenge us in the areas of our money and, and, and our priorities. He, he challenges us in relation to the treasure, not just treasure in general. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no different than the next guy. I would love to find a treasure box. I would love to find, I would love to, to remodel in my house and tear out a wall and, and find that the person that lived in there or that built it used it as a bank, right? Or, or that I would go into the, into the attic and, and find a painting and oh, lo and behold, it, it's, it's you know, somebody watercolored on a canvas and put it over the top of a Monet. I mean, you know, we, 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 we want to seek better things and, and that sort of thing. But the problem happens when our seeking of those better things exceeds our seeking of the treasure, the kingdom of God. Now, there's 16 verses here, and they're packed full, and I want to encourage you to, to take these 16 verses home with you this week and, and read them every day and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to shine a light into your life and, and show you where, where He wants to get your attention in regards to this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the first thing that Jesus describes is the state of earthly treasure versus the treasure. So earthly treasure versus the treasure. Verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal because earthly treasure doesn't last. The treasure is eternal. I mean, just think about the stuff that you own. Um, your kids haven't opened their Christmas, their Christmas presents haven't been little kids. Their, their presents haven't been opened 15 minutes and they're playing with the boxes. Not what you bought them, right? I, I mean, we, we, stuff loses its luster awfully quick in our culture. Uh, stuff rusts, especially stuff that's not built like it used to be, right? I mean, it, 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 it's not eternal stuff. And, and if we build a foundation on our life of stuff, when it's gone and it will one day be gone, what's left of our life? But store up, Jesus says, verse 20, for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There is no bank in the world that, that could keep a treasure safer than the kingdom of God. It, it, is, it is safer, it is more secure, it is longer lasting. And Jesus says, these treasures in heaven, there's no moth or rust, it, it, can't, be, it can't be destroyed, it can't be taken from you. The treasures of heaven won't wear out. They won't break. Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 12, we'll put it up here on the screen for you, uh, verses 15 through 19, Jesus gives a, a similar illustration to, to, uh, to show this point. Then Jesus says to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now, if we stopped there, that's not a bad thing. Jesus is not saying it's a sin to store your grain. He's not saying it's, it's a sin to, to have a savings account, to plan for the future. Because we know that in the Old Testament, when God had Joseph in Egypt, he had Joseph do what? He had him store up grain for seven years. Why? To prepare for the next seven years of drought. 
So Jesus isn't saying don't prepare for the future. He's not saying... What he's saying is, and, and this verse 19, you've probably already seen it, and I'll say to myself, this man said, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm just going to coast the rest of my life. Right? I'm going to play golf eight hours a day and sit on the deck and drink iced tea. Now, some of you are thinking that's probably a pretty good thing to do, but trust me, short of one person that was here for service, I think after you know weeks of that, you would tire of it. Um, because I think most of us, there's only so far that we could improve our golf game, and once we get to that point, then what else is there? Right? Um, God has a mission for you. God has divine appointments for you, no matter what your age is in this room. Whether you've been retired for 30 years, or, or you're just 10. God has a mission for each one of us. And, and we're not to just store up our stuff and then hoard it ourselves and hang out and just kind of relax. Or want more. And, and, and Jesus mentions the word greed in here. And greed focuses on the wrong treasure. That, that the treasures of the world can distract us from the treasure. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's saying that this earthly treasure distracts our hearts. It distracts our hearts from the, the treasure. Verse, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, notice the order of that. He doesn't say, For where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says that your treasure informs your heart. And I think that's important. Now, greed is the inordinate or excessive desire to possess wealth, goods, or objects of abstract value with the intention to keep it for oneself far beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort. That was Webster. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, uh, we're kind of in the middle of, of somewhat of an exciting sports season. You know, they've got Wimbledon going on if you like to watch tennis, and even if you don't like to watch it, it's kind of exciting at times. Um, you know, of course, baseball is going on, and there's a game today that I'm really excited to watch at 5 o'clock. The women, the U.S. women's national soccer team is playing for the World Cup, a team they, playing a team they lost to four years ago. And, and uh, you know, when, when we watch sports or we watch someone run a marathon... And, and, and it gets to the point where it's just really hurting them. I mean, they are in pain and agony. Maybe it's a, a football player turns their ankle, but they, they gut it out and they, they play to the end of the game. What is it that we say about that player? What do we say that that person has? They got a lot of heart. They got a lot of heart, and that, and that heart is, is informed by their focus of whatever goal that is that they've set before themselves. And, and, and whatever that is, whether it's uh, winning a national championship or a World Cup or whatever, that, when that's their focus, their heart comes in line with that as to what they're going to do in that process. And, and it begins to drive them. And we need to take heed and listen to Jesus when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, uh, show of hands, how many in this room think they're really greedy people? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. I don't think any of us probably just left to our own 
selves would say that we're a greedy person because I think it's one of those things that we might have that we don't realize that we have. And what we really should do is find a trusted close friend who really knows us and say, hey, um, I was challenged on Sunday morning about, about this area of greed and, and keeping my eyes focused on, on the kingdom. What, what do you think? As you evaluate my life, would you say that, that, that I'm living my life seeking the kingdom first? Or, or are there some things that, that, that I should surrender to the Lord? And then we might know the truth of that. But greed is one of those things that, that somehow we, we just don't, we don't see it in ourselves. And in this country, we have this, this sort of um, interesting uh, problem really describing what's a need and what's a want. You know, what do we really need and what, because I, I you know, I, man, I really need that 65-inch flat panel TV, right? I can justify that. I can, and, and then I focus on that and that begins to be what I think about a lot and all the time. I mean, that, that can happen to us. Um, and, and it can destroy us and it can, it, it can destroy our testimony. There's a, there's a woman, um, she's not living anymore. Her name was Leona Mindy Rosenthal Helmsley. Um, she owned a string of hotels. She owned the Empire State Building and she was a billionaire billionaire okay yet in september of 1989 she was convicted of 33 counts of tax tax evasion for which she spent time in prison according to time magazine she emerged from prison as a penny-pinching tyrant who tried to stiff just about everybody remember this woman has a billion dollars no amount of money was too small for her to fight over. In fact, after the sudden death of her only son at age 40, she sued and won the lion's share of his enormous estate. $149,000 was his estate. She's a billionaire. Her son has a $149,000 estate. I, I, I'm not sure what kind of relationship they had, but this could let you know. She sued, and this is how much his family, he, he had a wife and four children. Each child was left with $432, and the widow was left with $2,171. Okay, that's what greed does to you. That's what it does to us. It, 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 I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I think about the... the parable that Nathan told King David when, when he was caught in adultery with, with Bathsheba and he says you know there's this king and he has all of these animals and there's this peasant who has one favorite animal that's all they have and a, a guest comes over and the king goes to the peasant and takes his animal and butchers it and feeds it to the people well why on earth would anybody do why would she do that her focus was in the wrong place he just wants more and more and more and more enough can't be enough so it distracts our hearts from the treasure. Jesus says where our treasure is. The thing or things that we value the most, whatever and wherever those things are, that's where our heart's going to be. Uh, in verse 22, he continues and he says, the eye, and what, what I think he's saying here is, the eye, what we focus our lives on is the lamp of the body. If your eyes or your focus are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Leo Tolstoy once wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot, with the amount of property that he had. And he was given an unusual opportunity. Um, For a thousand rubles, he could buy all the land that he could walk around in a day. There was just one catch. By the time the sun went down, he had to be back at the original place to where he started. So, first light, the guy began walking. And, you know, he was walking at a, at a pretty good clip, and he, he continued, and his pace quickened. And, and it, it took him far, farther and farther away from his starting point. In fact, he realized that at one point that his greed had actually taken him maybe too far. He might not be able to make it back. So as he, as he made that turn, or however he made the corners or whatever, he, he began to, to come back. And as the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line. And I mean, he's been walking for a long time. Or probably running. If, if, just think about it. Hey, I'll give you all the land you can run around. Well... He comes within sight of the finish line and gasping for breath, his heart is pounding. He, he calls upon every bit of strength left in his body. He, I mean, he's laying his heart on the line for this. And he staggers across the line just before the sun disappeared. And he immediately collapses. And blood streams from his mouth. And in a few minutes, he was dead. And afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story was How Much Land Does a Man Need? I guess six feet long and three feet wide. I, I think we need to consider in our own lives, what are we focusing on? What is treasure to us? Is it the kingdom of God? Because Jesus says that needs to be the treasure. And then he drives the point home in verse 24 where he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. You can't do it. If you're serving money, you're not serving God, Jesus says. Now, he doesn't say if you have money, he says, if you're serving it. You know, money, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say it is evil in and of itself. It's the root. It's where that can begin. And isn't it true in us oftentimes? I mean, we really have to be cautious, and we've seen it in other people's lives. Money becomes their focus. A job becomes their focus. A, 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 um, possessions become their focus, and then greed begins to grow, and It takes mastery over them. I I encourage us to reflect on our own lives. We can't serve two masters. Now, in that verse, uh, the word despise kind of confused me a little bit. At at the end of that, either he will hate the one and, and love the other, or he will be devoted to, or cleave to, or cling to. He will cling to the one and despise, which means he will think little or nothing of. So, so he, will, he, will, he will cling to one and then he will think little or nothing of the other. And Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. So, earthly treasure, we're devoted to that one and, and what happens then is we despise the other. It gets in the way. 
God says, no, I don't want you to own that. We say, oh, no, I think I really want that. And we do our own thing. And then, and then Jesus says, therefore, I love therefores. Jesus says, based on all of this information that I've just given you here in the last few minutes, the fact that, 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 that we need to have our treasure in heaven and that this earthly stuff, it's, it's just going to rust and it's going to rot and it's going to go away and we're not going to have it forever. But, but, but heavenly treasure is eternal. He says in verse 24, or 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not, are you not much more valuable than they? I mean, how many of us have seen a movie where the, the, the ship is going down and the, the guys are trying to save the gold, right? They're trying to save the gold, and there's, there's always one guy. He won't let the gold go. And what happens? He dies because of his greed because of his worry of the future, and this will make my life so much better if I just had this. Jesus says, don't worry about it. See, earthly, earthly treasure brings earthly worry. Kingdom treasure, the treasure brings kingdom contentment. You know, discontentment, discontentment is the biggest tool of, of, uh, of our economy in the United States of America. You know, they, the, the goal of every marketing firm out there is to convince you that you don't have enough stuff or you don't have the right stuff. And they're really, really good at it, aren't they? You're watching TV, just innocent, content to have what you have, and some commercial comes on and you decide, wow, it'd be really cool to have that. Right? I mean, and, and then they put the phone number there and for four easy payments, you can have this. And then you get it and you use it for a week. And then you move it to the bedroom and then you move it to the guest room and then you move it to the garage for a while and then you move it back in the house because then you're really going to use it. And that's a treadmill if I'm talking about if you, right? It's still in the house. Um... Or, or you Google something. You, you're in the market for something, right? You, you, you do actually need something. A new printer. You know, your old one broke. And you look it up on Amazon, and you look it up on Walmart, and then later in the day, you know, you're not thinking about it. You're checking your email. You're on Facebook, and those ads pop up on the side. And they're identical to the printer that you just looked at that morning. It drives me crazy. They're really good at it. They are really good at it. And, and, and we have to be careful that we don't become discontent. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the, the quarterback for Green Bay last year, is kind of famous for, for a quote that he, that he said. You know, the first, I don't remember how many games they lost in a row right there at the beginning of the season. I mean, everybody that doesn't like the Packers were really excited that they were terrible. And... Um, and, and Aaron Rodgers was convinced that, that, that the ship is still upright. We're not sinking. We're going to be okay. And, and, and he was doing a press conference, and he says, I've got five letters for you. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. That's what Jesus is saying to us right here. 
You want to worry about what you're going to wear? You want to worry about what you're, you're going to eat? You're going to worry? I got, five, I got five letters for you. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Now, uh, that's hard to do. Um, I certainly get and understand the struggle in our humanity here when it comes to this. Uh, But Jesus says in verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We were watching fireworks last night at at, uh, our family's house and we decided to watch the Torrington fireworks from outside of town, which actually was a terrible idea. Um, We could see them, but we couldn't really hear them and feel them. And I like to hear and feel fireworks. Um, Probably won't do that next year. But as we're watching them, um, a couple police cars go by. And our whole family isn't here watching them with us. Uh, uh, Brittany is at another friend's house, and they've got to doing a bonfire and having some fireworks there, I think. And what happened in both of our heads? <laughs> oh boy, I hope she wasn't on her way here. And unfortunately, I've I, I got to be honest, my, my uh, initial response was not to pray. It was to text her, and actually it was to, to locate her. <laughs> I love Apple phones. Um, and Sarah texted her and, and got the response, yeah, I'm still here. So there's this, oh. But really, honestly, what our first response would, should have been, oh, Lord. You know, number one, wherever they're going, protect them and whoever they're going to help. And number two, please let it not be my daughter. I mean, that, that's what went through my head. Jesus is saying, you, you can't add a single hour to your life or anyone else's if you worry. We can't. And that's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard to let go of things that we love and we, we hold on to, 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 to relax those fingers and, 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 and just kind of keep our money and our homes and our possessions and our jobs and our children and our families with, with open hands for God to do with what He wants and take and give and be thankful and content with what He has given us. And He he goes on in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the the field grow? They, They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, and will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry. R-E-L-A-X. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, but, verse 33, which is your memory verse for this week, but seek first the kingdom of and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom. That's our number one, the treasure. That's our focus. That's our goal. And all this other stuff and all this other part of life, God's going to work that out. Be patient. Take, relax. Don't worry. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, for sure. Jesus says that the treasure we should be seeking is the kingdom and His righteousness. Now you're, you're looking at your notes and you're going, holy cow, there's still another point. Well, this is a quick one and this is it. Um, we need to be seeking first His kingdom. Okay? Jesus says seek first His kingdom. And, and here's four ways in which I think that we participate in seeking 
his kingdom. The first one is prayer, and we talked about that last week. Prayer. There is a divine strength that comes in certain times of life, and it comes from our connection with him and the Holy Spirit in us, and as we pray, we interact with that. The second one is God's word. There's no better way to know the heart of God and, and how he works and operates in life than to know the, the word and how he has revealed himself to, himself to us, to, to study it and to, to meditate on it and to soak it in, to dig into the pages and, and, and find those unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. The third thing is worship. It, 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 it refocuses our hearts and our minds. It, 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 as we sing the songs and, and as we give of our offerings and, and those things that we do as acts of worship, as acts of response to what God has done and who He is, it puts us in, proper, in a proper place. And then community. Community. Uh, we need small groups. We need, we need this family. We need, we need each other's help in seeking first His kingdom. So I want to leave you with, with this question. What do you really hope to achieve in your life? I mean, what are you really seeking after? And I pray that it would be the kingdom of God. There was once an American businessman who was sitting by the beach in a small Mexican village, and as he sat there, he saw a Mexican fisherman rowing a small boat in, and he had these fish he had caught. And, and they were kind of a delicacy, I guess. And the American was really impressed. And he asked the fisherman, how long does it take you to catch so many fishes? And he said, it just takes me a short while. And he says, well, why don't you stay longer and, at, at sea and you could catch even more? And the fisherman simply said, this is enough to feed my, my whole family, he says. The businessman then asked, so what do you do for the rest of the day then? And the fisherman replied, well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea, catch a few fish, and then I would go back and play with my kids. In the afternoon, I'll take a nap with my wife, and, and evening comes, I'll join my buddies in the village. We play guitar, sing, and dance throughout the evening. My days are ever so complete and carefree. The businessman doesn't agree with his way of life. And he says, I, I've got some suggestions for you. In fact, he said, I'm a Ph.D. holder, graduated from the Harvard University. I'm really smart. I specialized in business management and I could help you become a more successful person. From now on, you have to spend more time at sea and try to catch as many fish as possible. And, and when you have saved enough money, you could buy a, a bigger boat and catch even more fish. And, and as you go on, you will be able to afford to buy more boats, recruit more fishermen and lead a team of your own. Soon you will be able to set up your, your own company. Um, you, your, your very own production plant for canned food and do direct selling to your distributors. At, at that time, you will have moved out of this village and to Mexico City and then expand your operation to L.A. And finally, you'll have a headquarters in New York City where you can set it up and manage all of your, your branches. And the fisherman asks, so how long would that take? The businessman replies, well, that's about a 15 to 20 year plan. The fisherman continues, and after that? The businessmen laugh heartily. After that, you can live like a king in your own house. And, and when the time is right, you can go public and float your shares in the stock exchange. By then, you will be rich. Your income will be coming in by the millions. The fisherman asks. And after that, the businessman says, after that, you can finally retire. You can move to a house by the fishing village. Wake up early in the morning and catch a few fish. Then return home to play with kids, have a nice afternoon nap with your wife, and when evening comes, you can join your buddies in town to play the guitar, sing, and dance throughout the night. I mean, isn't that how it goes? That call 
of stuff and more success. The fisherman was puzzled. He said, isn't that what I'm doing now? There was a guy who uh, wanted to sell his house and get a bigger, better house. And he decided what he wanted in a house and he, he wrote up the description or he had the realtor write it up, you know, and, and, and post it. And he's, he's looking through the realty things and, and uh, he's looking, reading through the descriptions and he sees the description of a house that he, that he really thinks he wants. And he calls up his realtor and, and he says, hey, tell me about this house that, that and, and he reads the description and the, the realtor on the other side of the phone is like silent. And he said, what's wrong? And the realtor said, you're living already in that house. That's the description that I gave you for your house. Get the discontentedment. You know, let's, let's seek first the treasure of God and all of these other things will be added to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for meeting us here today. Lord, I, I just thank you for the, uh, just the, sense, uh, the feeling that I, that I have in this room together with all of these people and and I thank you for, for ministering to our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Father, that, that, that we wouldn't leave here and, and say, oh, nice, nice sermon, nice message, love that illustration. But, Lord, that we would leave here challenged, deeply challenged in, in reviewing our own lives and, and following you and seeking first the kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, help us to relax. Help us to... To, to take the time with our kids and our families and, and help us not to be so focused on things and possessions and success and all of those things. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your strength and your power. Lord, thank you for this table that sits before us and, and the celebration that, that, that we have today. Draw our hearts in, Lord. May this not just be a cup of juice and a little piece of bread, but... May you speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the service the, our celebration of our independence as a nation. And, you, you know, in the beginnings, we were subject to a king. We paid heavy taxes. We had this big, giant tea party. And then we fought and gained our freedom as a nation. Independence from what was often described as tyranny. I mean, it truly was epic before it was cool to use the word epic. Well, today we celebrate a table here that represents an epic thing that Jesus Christ did for us. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And it's because of his sacrifice that we can have freedom and independence from the tyranny of sin and darkness in our world. I mean, our lives are free from sin and darkness as Christ followers of those who have surrendered our life to Him. Isn't that a, what a great treasure that is? That is the treasure. And that's what we celebrate here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for all of us in this room who proclaim the Lord's death and will proclaim it until we leave where he comes, as the, uh, as the baskets are passed, take a piece of bread representing his broken body. As, the, as these plates are, are passed, take a cup representing his blood that was shed for us. And let's remember. Let's celebrate. Let's focus on the kingdom of God and the church. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Oh, Lord, just continue to speak to our hearts. Draw us near to you. As in this time and in this moment, we draw near to you. Jesus.